This podcast is brought to you by the Wharton School at the University of Pennsylvania. Well, the, the question of insider trading in and around Wall Street has been there uh, for a few decades now. Obviously, Hollywood has uh, really uh, shed light on this with a variety of films. But the question is, what level of insider trading is ongoing in uh, Wall Street? And is there, to a degree, some level of the stock market that is kind of rigged? It's, it's an area that has been focused on by a variety of people, including our next guest, Dan Taylor is an assistant professor of accounting at the Wharton School and also director of the Wharton Forensic Analytics Lab, and uh, he has looked into this uh, in deeper detail. Dan, great to talk to you again. How are you doing? Good to talk to you, Dan. Happy to be on. Thank you. So when, when I say the, the words insider trading now in the scope of 2021, your response is what? Alive and well. <laughs> And why, I guess, because I think the expectation is that with all that we saw back in the 80s and 90s, and as I mentioned, Hollywood romanticized it, uh, that the government would have done a better job of policing this type of activity. Well, I think what has changed, I would say, a lot a lot's changed since the 80s, but one of the things that's changed in terms of insider trading is with the sheer amount of data that's available uh, the public, researchers, myself, are better able to spot, let's call it, abnormal or quote-unquote lucky trades and to see whether the same individual keeps tending to make quote-unquote lucky trades or, or you know, how they, every time they, they make an investment or they buy or sell stock, you know, they keep, you know, making lots of money. We didn't have that in the 1980s. You didn't have the ability for external non-government uh, players to actually have a capability of surveilling the market. And now I think we do, and so that's led sort of my research and others to sort of say, well, hey, wait a minute, you know, like we're seeing all of these abnormalities, like what's, you know, like, what's going on? It looks like, you know, there is, yeah. some, there is some insider trading, much more than, you know, many would have been led to have believed. Now, in terms of why you it's may- happening or why the government hasn't done, you know, a better job at it, you know, the blame does not, you know, lay exclusively with the, with the government per se or with the SEC or the Department of Justice. I think right. one of the things that people don't know is that there is no law in the U.S against insider trading okay there's no law that says you can't trade on material non-public information what there is is there's case law that uses anti-fraud statutes that say hey you can't commit fraud by mail or by telephone or by internet and that has built up a case law that then the lawyers as you see in the department of justice use to charge people with quote-unquote insider trading but that that case law is particularly weak because there is no legal sort of codified law against insider trading. So you mentioned about the data that is out there right now, and and the, the comments you had made recently in an article in Bloomberg uh, touch on this a little bit, including this service called Tip Ranks, which I guess you know kind of measures a lot of this uh, this potential. I guess people would say abnormal activity by executives, correct? That's right. No, that's right. I mean, and that and that comes about as a result of these um, disclosure rules, right? So the rules around executives trading is is that if they're trading in their own stock, uh, 
they have to disclose it within two business days. And so as a consequence, there's volumes of data, you know, terabytes of data on the trades, the timing of the trades, and the prices that they're able to, you know, to execute at. And then you can compare certain individuals and say, well, okay, like what is the, the trading activity of the CEO of, let's say, Coke versus the CEO of Pepsi? Or, you know, what CEOs tend to do really well when they trade? You know, do they beat the hedge funds or do they beat more sophisticated institutions? And the natural implication is, is that if the CEO is trading and performing better than a hedge fund, that's kind of, you know, you know, it's a question of what he's doing during his day job. If he's spending so much time trading and, and, you know, and doing well. So without having a quote-unquote law on the books, uh, I guess the next question is, uh, has there been a movement recently to want to try and bring something like that forward, or are we still so very far away from even getting to that point? Well, I think the first thing is, is we need to have an appreciation for the extent to which it goes on. I think a lot of people have been taught or learned over time that somehow all of this was sort of stamped out in the 80s and the 90s, and that you know somehow that's, it, it just doesn't happen now. But if you look at the data, uh, surveys by Pew uh, Research Center and others suggest that more than 50% of surveyed Americans feel that the stock market is, is rigged and that these sorts of things are, are going on in broad daylight on Wall Street. And then that you know, that leads, obviously, to certain, you know, political sentiments. So, you know, in, in terms of what can be done, I think the first thing needs to be we need an appreciation of this, that this activity is occurring. I think politicians need to recognize that this current of, you know, the system is rigged, this is happening and not being prosecuted, you know, is giving rise to a lot of the feelings of middle America right now. And so one would hope that once it's recognized and once the connection to the politics has been made, you would see people, politicians, calling for the laws to go on the books, calling for there to be reforms. I mean, not to go too far afield, right, but we've seen Wall Street Journal articles and Bloomberg articles on the, the trading by Fed officials while they were deliberating on you know, Federal Reserve rates and Fed policy. We've seen articles on the trading of you know, federal judges while they're deliberating on cases that would otherwise create a conflict of interest. And, you know, to date, there hasn't really been any prosecution of those individuals. Now, that could be because it's really hard to make a case, and maybe they did something unethical but not illegal. Right. But all of this feeds into this narrative that, you know, it's, it's, it's rampant in some sense. It just hasn't quite been appreciated, and it's taking time and, and journalists and researchers to bring this to the public's attention. And the hope is, is that in bringing it to people's attention, you know, those in power will actually you know, take meaningful action to, to curtail it. So is the expectation, at least for now, that this is activity that is going to continue to whatever level, as you said, it, you know, it can be, can be high at some point, uh, and that our expectations should be out there that this is part of the process. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's right. And, and I think, you know, there shouldn't be that much, like we need to appreciate why this is happening rather than just sort of, uh, to, to use a colloquial, rather than just sort of hating on the government for allowing it to occur. I mean, 
to get an insider trading conviction under current law, because remember, there's, there is no law against insider trading, you have to show what's known as scienter or this intent. And you can imagine a circumstance in which you would get a politician or a Fed board member and you could say, hey, look, you made these trades. You knew this information at the time that you traded. And their defense would be, well, I'm just watching the news. I was just watching the macroeconomy. You know, I wasn't trading on that information. I was trading on, you know, what was going on around me. And that was sort of the defense that we saw uh, many of the senators make. Uh, during the COVID relief, when people pointed out that the senators and Congress were sort of trading on COVID programs, and those those individuals said, "Hey, well, we weren't trading on that. We were just, you know, trading on the fact that you know everything was, you know, collapsing around us." Um, so it, it's really hard. The one example of a actual conviction was against um, Chris Collins, a senator from uh, New Jersey. Yeah, and yeah. there they actually had tweets and records that showed him communicating with somebody, saying, aha, I got this stock tip. The market doesn't know yet. You know, buy, 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 sell, sell, sell. And there you can make a conviction because you could say you knew that you had private information and you communicated it to somebody. So it's really easy to say that you had the intent to exploit your position. Whereas short of emails, short of tweets, short of some sort of evidence of communication, it's really hard to make that case. Dan, as always, great to talk with you and get your insight on this uh, on this topic. Thanks, and we will uh, no doubt have you on again very soon. Thank you, sir. All right. Thanks a lot, Dan. Take care. Thank you. Dan Taylor, Assistant Professor of Accounting at the Wharton School. To keep engaged with Wharton Business Daily and other Wharton School shows, visit businessradio.wharton.upenn.edu.